Welcome to Meet the Filmmaker at the Apple Store Soho in New York. Please welcome our moderator from Men's Journal, Charles Thorpe. How's it going, guys? We have a great talk for you here today and a great filmmaker. And uh, he's got a fascinating new documentary that he's here to talk to you about. And it's called That Sugar Film. And we're going to watch a quick trailer quick. Um, and then we'll talk. We'll get into it. is now found in 80% of the foods we eat. But with the constant confusion over its effects on our health, and with this little person on the way, I feel like I need some definitive answers. The point is to test out a very high sugar diet. How are you going to do that? You want to match averages? 40 teaspoons of sugar a day. 40 a day. But they must be hidden sugars found in commonly perceived healthy foods and drinks. So no soft drink, confectionery or ice cream. People on this planet are growing sicker every day. And many scientists now believe that fructose has a role to play. I'm eating the same amount of calories as I did before, and I'm not feeling full. These calories do dramatically different things in the human body. If I kept going for these levels, would I be knocking on the door of obesity? Definitely. Definitely got far to go. Any sugar, ground sugar, white sugar, fruit juice concentrate from fruit juice, equal effect on your health. Not feeling very well at all today. My fuse is a lot shorter. Your mental function is just unstable. You've got the signs of a fatty liver. This is the first time I've seen that it can be developed in two or three weeks. <laughs> Whenever you walk into a supermarket, make an immediate turn for the produce aisle and avoid everything in the middle. Sugar's not evil, but life is so much better when you get rid of it. Here we go, guys. So we have the filmmaker and the subject himself, Damon Gamo, here to talk about it. Hi. Hi, mate. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, of course. Hey, Hi, everyone. so uh, let's get straight into it, man. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I understand that you were off sugar before you even started this movie. So what was the first reason that you quit sugar? Uh, the first reason was to impress a woman. I guess um, I was a male in my late 20s and I drank be two vanilla cokes a day, smoked a pack of cigarettes and ate pizza. And then I met this woman and I went, you know what, that's not going to cut it anymore. <laughs> and um, in a bid to impress her and woo her in the first few weeks, as men often do, I pretended to enjoy a kale and cucumber smoothies and <laughs> organic avocado on chia seed bread and all these weird things I'd never heard of. But I slowly and surely kind of lowered my sugar intake mm. and then just felt much better for it. People would comment on my skin and my eyes. I lost some weight. And probably the main thing I noticed was how it affected my moods. I felt a lot calmer and more stable throughout the day. Right. And I guess I just lived like that for about three years and really didn't think much of it. It just became what I did. And then I just noticed more and more press starting to come out about sugar. Mm. And the camps were very divided. I mean, some groups were saying it was toxic and poisonous. Other people were saying it was essential for energy. Right. So I kind of thought, well, you know, we had a baby on the way. Uh, I better do an experiment on my own body and <laughs> see what's actually going on. Yeah. 
And so, I mean, if you did this to impress her, what were her thoughts on the fact that you were going to eat sugar to make your movie? Was she, was she excited about that or was uh, she uh, look, dreading she's, that? She's a very, very special person. Um, probably changed my life in a lot of ways. And uh, she was just very supportive that she knew there was a bigger picture to it. I guess I wanted to find out what was going on and, and turn it into a fun and accessible film that we could uh, appeal to kids and teenagers and families. And if there was something in this, then she sensed that it might um, play a role and might help other people's lives. So she was very supportive the whole time. Um, yeah. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, and what was, I mean, we've all had sugar through different you know, means. And you know, when you were cutting out sugar, what was the thing that you might have missed the most? Was there any one product or item that you uh, missed? I mean, I know you're from Australia. I don't know if everybody knows that Do you guys have here. sticky date pudding here? Uh, it's like a, this no, kind of no, no, amazing no. kind of caramel sauce on this cake and it's heated up like butterscotch. Sounds nice. Sounds I still like we should have it. it. I still think about sticky date pudding every <laughs> now and again. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I was an absolute bona fide sweet tooth. You mm. know, like I would just demolish candy bars and soft drinks and, you know, so it's a big, for me to now say I don't really have refined sugar is a really big statement, but right. it is amazing the difference I feel and also your palate does adjust. That's what most people don't understand is right. that, you know, most of us have had sugar every day of our life since we were children. We've never gone three or four days without it to actually know what it feels like to not have it in your life. Yeah. So, um, you know, the fact that I was having two Cokes a day and now I find a banana almost too sweet, which right. sounds unbelievably hippie and weird, but it's true. Like it yeah. does, um, you know, that's all I need now in a smoothie. That's enough for me. I don't need any other extra sugar on top. Yeah. And, you know, we've, we've just become the most successful documentary of all time in Australia. And we have, you know, five and a half thousand people on the Facebook every week and wow. constantly the amount of people that are saying, I can't believe this, like, mm. or that my kids have changed. Um, it does happen, you know, yeah. it's just that we're so conditioned, we're so saturated with sugar that it's hard for people to imagine a life without it. Yeah. So did you grow up with a lot of sugar in your diet? I mean, was oh, yeah. there in Australia, is there a lot of soda consumption? Oh, yeah. and yeah. Well, we're the third biggest exporter of sugar in the world. So it's very, you know, we love our sweet treats. You know, it's uh, all your, all the foods that you get here are very popular back home. I'm not sure if you have a drink called Ribena here, which is like a black currant juice, very, very it Sounds popular. delicious it's as well. I'm not sure. Oh, do you, Ooh, do you, do you no. Do I don't British. think it's delicious. Yeah, <laughs> there's about nine teaspoons in one kind of small carton. Oh my God. But it's given to babies as kind of like, because it's packed with vitamin C, um, <laughs> which is written all across the cover. So my poor mum, when I was a young baby, just poured that down my throat like a, you know, cool it into a radiator. <laughs> and I, um, I had four teeth taken out when I was a three-year-old. So wow. my sugar journey started at a very young age. Yeah. Well, uh, I know we have a couple clips, so let's show mm. the first one to sort of set up your, the challenges you were setting for yourself. Oh yeah, so this, should I just introduce the clip mm, a yeah, bit? Well, great. basically, um, this is just to outline what the rules of the experiment were, and it's kind of different. I think uh, the big catch with the film is that we all understand if we have too much soft drink and donuts, we're gonna get sick. But the experiment that I did, I had none of that food. So no junk food, all the sugar I ate had to be found in perceived healthy foods that a lot of parents would give their kids thinking they're doing the right thing. Mm. So here are the rules for my next 60 days. I must consume 40 teaspoons of sugar a day, but they must be hidden sugars found in commonly perceived healthy foods and drinks. So no soft drink, chocolate, confectionery, or ice cream. These 40 teaspoons of sugar will consist of sucrose and fructose specifically. They can be added, like jam, or naturally occurring, like sultanas. I must always choose low-fat foods and maintain the same level of exercise as I already do. That's three laps of my garden twice a week and a 10-minute workout on my homemade gym. 
and by homemade. I mean homemade. That's real. See, Those uh, dumbbells are real. That, like, that gym is very impressive. Oh, in your face, <laughs> fitness first. <laughs> have you have you escalated the workouts since then, or are you? Uh, no, yeah, I'm, I'm sadly a, day, a terrible. A yeah, I don't do much exercise actually. Yeah. And it's amazing. I mean, that's what we kind of discover in the film mm. that there's this real emphasis on the fact that you can eat whatever you like as long as you burn it off and run. Right. But so much of the science now is not supporting that. It's saying that nutrition is far more pivotal in terms of the way you, especially with weight, in fact it plays a 70 to 80% role in terms of your, your nutrition. Absolutely. Because these calories do behave very differently in the body as we find out in the film. They're not all equal, unfortunately. Yeah, and so, so what I found was fascinating myself was you were taking typically you know, healthy foods, mm. quote unquote, and using those to get your sugar. So what was, what was right. the item that you were most surprised that had crazy amounts of sugar in it? Yeah, well actually the idea started when I was, I was trying to think of a narrative for how we tell the story and I was walking down a supermarket and I picked up a can of tomato soup and I saw that it had eight teaspoons in one serve in a can of sugar and I thought, I mean how many people would know that there's that sugar in this perceived sort of savoury healthy food? Right. And then I spent the next probably hour and a half in the supermarket like a really weird guy, kind of going around and reading all these labels. And I found that um, like sweet chilli sauce, barbecue sauce and hoisin sauce all have more sugar in them than chocolate sauce per serve. Wow. You know? So one tablespoon of uh, barbecue sauce has two teaspoons of sugar in it. So you can see why, I mean, the World Health Organization now says we should have no more than six teaspoons a day of added sugar. Yeah. Now, if you have a bit of bar barbecue sauce and half a juice, you're already at your limit. Right. So you can see why these people, why we're all getting fatter and sicker, because if you're having dessert and ice cream and a cola at the end of the day as your treat, it's probably your 35th teaspoon without you even knowing it. And that's why, I guess that's the point of the film. We're not trying to demonize sugar. We're right. just trying to show people where it's hiding so that they can take more power and, and responsibility for themselves and for their children. Right. And were there any tricks or, you know, hacks in shopping? for groceries that you found mm. while you were using this process and now that you're yeah. out there shopping healthily, more healthily now yeah. that you have a baby and everything like that. Yeah. Um, was, what are some tips people yeah, can it's a great you know, utilize? Probably the best thing to know is at the moment you see on the back of a label, it just says grams. So it might say 20 grams in a bottle. Now that's very ambiguous. We don't really know what 20 grams looks like. So the best thing we teach people is that one teaspoon of sugar is four grams. So if you see a juice with 20 grams, you divide it by four and you know there's five teaspoons in that. And once you start doing that, you kind of get blown away that you see these iced teas and vitamin drinks, um, Gatorade, they're all eight or nine teaspoons of sugar, you right. know, and you'd never have that. But once you can read the label and you understand what it means, I guess it's empowering. You don't need to rely yeah. on the government or um, FDA guidelines. You get to actually empower yourself and decide what you're going to put in your body and in the body of your children. Yeah, and in talking about the, the filmmaking process here, um, over how long did you shoot this and how long from the uh, getting the idea for this for this movie into going into production how long did that take um, so it's been up until now it's been three and a half years mm. and uh, I shot the experiment when our baby was just born so it was uh, 18 months ago uh, but it took nine months to edit we've got 300 special effects shots in there so the film's really aimed at children it's really sort of playful and fun Hugh Jackman's in the film Stephen Fry's in the oh, film great. Yeah, we're really trying to sort of lift and get this documentary seen by people that wouldn't normally go and see a documentary because right. they need the message. You know, I, I often talk about the fact that people in affluent suburbs kind of understand this, they eat very well, but what we're trying to do is penetrate what I like to call the quinoa curtain. Like, and get beyond that line and get it seen by the people that actually need to see this message. Yeah. So, 
um, I had a great quote on my office wall and it was from uh, Oscar Wilde and he said, if you want to tell people the truth, you've got to make them laugh or they'll kill you. <laughs> and um, I kind of sort of That's used good. that as a motto moving forward that, you know, we've got to make it fun and in enjoyable. We don't want to instill fear in people so they go, God, I can't eat anything. Yeah. It's supposed to go, no, you can do this and um, leave the cinema feeling hopeful and, and empowered. Yeah. And so how, I mean, there, there are some great cameos in this film like Stephen Fry mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Hugh Jackman, like you said. So how did you pitch the idea on the, I'm sure they get documentaries knocking at their door every day, you know, yeah, trying sure. to get them in the film. So how did you guys convince them? Well, I mean, Hugh them? obviously is pretty, um, I mean, like his torso is, probably, is his life, really. Right. So I don't think Wolverine would quite cut it with a, with a beer gut. <laughs> Wouldn't be as menacing, I don't right. think. <laughs> but um, so we kind of made this sort of pitch document, which is like a miniature magazine that wow. sort of outlined the style and the tone and the play of the film. Lots of Willy Wonka kind of imagery and colours. And we also shot a very short trailer that had a lot of special effects in it mm. and just kind of sent it to him on a whim wow. and said, look, we're aiming this at families and kids. It's got a health message. What do you reckon? Mm. And he was like, I'm free in New York next Thursday. You want to come over? <laughs> and um, The so Aussie factor had nothing to do with it, I'm sure. Well, I mean, yeah, but probably had something, something to do with it. But, um, you know, it was so funny because we sort of, you know, we got no money for a documentary but, and, and Hugh said he'd do it for free. But then wow. you come over and suddenly there's a groomist and a rider and setting up. <laughs> it's like the budget just blows out. Mm. Uh, and then we got back home to Australia and I, I wrote this sketch about the different types of sugar and I thought who would be the best person in the world to do this and I thought well Stephen Fry is kind of like the world's school teacher of so I sent it to him and he said great I'm free in London next Tuesday so we got back wow. on a plane and went over to London and shot his stuff so it's just classic documentary filmmaking you know yeah. unplanned rushed guerrilla style but you just get there in the end yeah mm. And, you know, you talked about, you know, starting the experiments. What are your thoughts? How are you feeling the first day that you're getting into this challenge? Were you worried? Were you worried about your health? Were you worried about your life? Was your wife worried? Well, I guess the thing was, because I wasn't having any junk food, like no mm. chocolates or ice cream or candy or anything, I didn't think we'd get, I didn't know if we'd get any strong results. And so that's why I made the experiment 60 days. It kind of shows my naivety. We could have done it in 30 days because by then I already had fatty liver disease. I'd put on nine pounds and my body was falling apart after wow. 30, but we had another 30 to go. So wow. uh, I guess the scientists that were monitoring me, the pathologist and whatnot, they were just very careful to take regular blood tests that I never crossed into something that was too dangerous. By the end, I was very close to my liver hardening, which is mm -hmm. called cirrhosis. But we just made sure that we stopped before it got too stupid. But, um, you know, a part of me in some kind of weird, twisted way was kind of glad the results were that extreme because it got to show people what these foods can do. And I guess um, it sort of made the film much more powerful than if I just kind of put on a <laughs> couple of pounds and had, right. you know, nothing happened. So, um, yeah, it's kind of a good twisted thing in the end. Yeah, and I think we have another clip that's mm. the, the first day, the, your, your breakfast, um, your... Yeah, so this is, a great, this is a great, I mean, this was the first meal I had and it was a genuine shock for me and it shows people just how easy it is to get your teaspoon count up throughout the day and it's important to remember that we're supposed to have six teaspoons of added sugar a day and you see what I get to, you know, after breakfast in the morning. Wow. Can we have a metric cup, like to measure size? Oh, yep. yep. Right, so this just right tells me that it's 12 grams of sugar per serving, right? So that's, divided by four, that's roughly three, three teaspoons of sugar per serving. That's a recommended serving size with three teaspoons of sugar. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a growing boy. I'm gonna need a little bit more of that. That feels like a shot of just right. Yeah, maybe two and a half. Okay, so two and a half 
So one was just under three teaspoons, two is six teaspoons, another half is about seven and a half teaspoons of sugar just in that bowl. And I, I added the yogurt yet. Per serving, there is 27 grams, but a lot of that's going to be lactose, so I reckon 18 grams. 18 divided by four is four, just over four. So four to my seven, so there's 11 teaspoons of sugar. And then I'm going to add my juice. I'm going to put about 400 mils of apple juice. That'll do me. There, we're looking at nine teaspoons. So this combined, I'm looking at nearly 20 teaspoons to start the day. It's actually shocking. I mean, yeah. I feel like that's a breakfast akin to something that a lot of people are doing day to day. A little that cereal, is, yep. a little yogurt. Low fat yogurt, it's the low fat diet. That's what it is, you know? And again, you look at all those products I was having there. They've got a flower, a bee, some grapes, a sunset on them. They all appear very healthy, you yeah. know? And people just take that on face value. And there was a study done in Australia only recently that said that 55% of people get their nutrition advice from the packet compared to 25% from a health advocate. So that's why we need the government to help out and be more accountable so that we can't kind of put these slogans on these foods because people need to know what's in them. Yeah. I mean, that's, they're full of sugar. Some of those have got more sugar. I mean, we did a comparison today where a, uh, a low-fat Yoplait yogurt strawberry has more sugar in it than four Oreo biscuits. You know, like, people need to know that stuff. Absolutely. You know, because you can see how easily your sugar count can build up. Yeah, and so, with the lunches, with the dinners, I mean, what were the other items that were shocking you as far as the added sugar? I mean, were... Well, probably it's like condiments are a big one, like the sauces, the, low, you know, the mayonnaises, the salad dressings, the pasta sauces even. I mean, they're just full of sugar. Um, but also even America bread, I've noticed. Bread's got a lot of added sugar in it here right. as well. Um, but the big one, really, and most of the science says, if you can avoid the drinks, that's the first step. So the juices, the pom juice, the fruit juice, the um, sports drinks, the vitamin waters, all those kind of drinks are just, you know, our, our liver isn't designed to deal with that amount of sugar just flooding the system. And that's what happened to me. It turns to fat very quickly. So that's pretty much the first step for people. If you can just drink water as much as you can, right. you're gonna do yourself a massive favor. Right, I mean, I, I wish we could show people the whole doc right now because <laughs> sure. there's so much to learn, um, but you guys should absolutely check it out on Friday. Um, as, as the process was going along, what were you feeling? When was, how early were you starting to feel the effects of just the sugar diet? Well, look, that's probably the biggest t talking point that's come out of the film is the effect on my moods, you know? And there's a lot of science now. There's a very respected medical journal called The Lancet. And they just released a statement only in January saying that we need to acknowledge the link between food and mental behavior is just as powerful as the link between food and physical symptoms. So it's a bit of a gray area at the moment. There's only emerging science in this field, but there is a term called reactive hyperglycemia and it affects half the population. And if you're having these very high sugar foods, it spikes this hormone called insulin and then cleans the blood, the bloods out of your, uh, blood sugar out of your system very quickly. And the brain almost panics because it thinks it's not getting any more fuel. So it releases these endorphins that can make you feel you know, jittery and nervous and anxious and irritable and there are lots of studies now there's one done in the University of Vermont looking at kids and soft drinks and the link between violent behaviors you know and right. we've shown the film in prisons now because uh, some of the inmates there and the nutritionists are really onto this and want to see how it does affect their behavior so that's probably the biggest thing that affected me I was fine once I had the sugar for about 45 minutes and then I feel myself get a bit 
wow. lethargic, I'd lose concentration, I'd not be as present as I would normally be, and then I'd have another bit of sugar and I'd be back up, you know? And so you spend your day going yeah. like this and most of the population live like that. Yeah. And it's only when you step away from it for a few days that you have these healthier fats and these proteins and these slow releasing foods that you can start to feel more constant. And I think it's a very serious discussion for children that are having these type of breakfasts, their parents think they're doing the right thing. Yeah. And then they're in class at 9.30 in the morning and they're struggling to sit still and concentrate and learn, you know, we've got to address that as a, as a society, I think. Absolutely. And, and the great thing about this is you were, you were traveling, you were doing the legwork to try to get um, testimonials from people who this the sugar yeah. has affected throughout mm. their lives. And uh, we have another clip right now yeah. that shows a, a young man, a 17-year-old at the time of the filming. Um, tell us a little bit about this clip. Oh, this is probably the most um, disturbing day of the whole film for me. I mean, you'll see we went to a, a town called Barberville in Kentucky. And we spent two days with a dentist there and he treats a condition that him and a group of dentists have coined Mountain Dew Mouth. And it's because all the kids there are having 10 to 12 Mountain Dews a day. And all their teeth are completely rotted and gone black. And it's not just kids at 16, he treats kids as four and five year olds. Their mothers put the Mountain Dew in the baby bottle. Mm. Um, and look, we've got a similar case in Australia with our Aboriginal community. They put Coke into the baby the bottle as well. That's right, as well, that's yeah. right, yeah. So look, it's just a, a complete lack of education. And this young boy, he's only 17, and we had to sit with him when he had 26 teeth removed. And um, you know, to kind of see that going on is, uh, is, is not right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, we'll see the clip. It's pretty common for people around here to drink a lot of pop. Mainly it's Mountain Dew and Pepsi. This is 17-year-old Larry. He's lived in Kentucky all his life. This is his tat, this is his favourite t-shirt, and these are his teeth. My 18th birthday is in eight days, and uh, I mean, people look down upon me because of my teeth. Yeah. As I was a kid, I was never worried about my teeth, yeah. and uh, I would just take a pop everywhere I went, and I always had one in my hand. And, what, and how old do you reckon you were when you had your first Mountain Dew? Like how old? I would probably say two or three. And how much a day would you say you have? I would say at least four or five bottles. If, if it was cans, I would say at least a 12 pack. 12 cans a day. Is that, is that are the people doing that in this town? Is yeah. It? What about you talking about your cousin before? I would say about six or seven cans a day. And uh, he's only three years old. I mean, it's, it's shocking and, um, you know, you were talking a little bit about the, the educational element right now and, and sort of getting people started younger on their, on their path to healthy eating. Um, what were the things that you learned that we could change quickly now mm -hmm. as far as legislation or mm -hmm. as far as, you know, advice for young, young kids and their well, diets? Well, look, I mean, I, it's a twofold problem. I think, firstly, we do need the education. That, that's first and foremost. And, We've been very lucky in Australia to have a lot of corporate support to develop an outreach campaign. So we've actually devised a study guide from grade five to 11 for teachers. They do a whole term teaching the film and the book and there's a free app and classroom posters. And we've had a thousand schools sign up for that already. And we just had a group in the UK when we opened the film that want to adapt for their school system as well. 
Um, we're hoping, sort of, I'm meeting some people this week to hopefully do it in the American school system as well. That's obviously one aspect, but we need government intervention very, very quickly. You know, um, unfortunately, as you know, it's a big politically intertwined money-making machine, the food industry, uh, and they're kind of heavily intertwined with government as well. So it's going to take a while for these things to come through. Uh, there's talk at the moment about changes to even labelling, like that there's an added sugars labelling on the packets at the moment, because at the yeah. moment it just says sugars, it's very tricky for people to know what's Natural in there. Natural versus... That's yeah. it. So I think that needs something to be addressed urgently. And also, like I was talking before about um, accountability of front of lo uh, packet slogans. At the moment you can say, I mean, there's a product in Australia that says school canteen approved, and it's like a chocolate milk uh, breakfast drink. <laughs> yeah. Now there's no such official body that actually come up with that. That company's just made up that slogan and put it on there. I think so parents buy it thinking it's some official government body and right. they can give it to their children. So we kind of need people held accountable for that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, there's also talk of a tax in the UK at the moment. Uh, there's been one trial in um, California at the moment about a sugar tax on soda drinks, which again, you know, it's a tricky one because where does that money go? Uh, I'd probably only support it if, if there was real transparency so that if that money directly went to subsidise fresh fruits and vegetables in poorer areas or schools or hospitals, absolutely that would be fine. But yeah. can we trust the government to do that? I don't know. I yeah. think it's, um, this is about people power first and foremost. Like I was saying before, the beautiful thing about food is that you get to decide that action. <laughs> and you right. can, you know, it's, I remember watching um, Inconvenient Truth and thinking, mm. You know, it's a great film about climate change, but other than turning off the lights and buying a Prius, what can I do to help? Yeah. Whereas the beautiful thing about food is you get to decide. If you take your power back, you read labels, you don't need to worry about the FDA, you don't need to worry about the government, you get to decide what you want to eat. And yeah. I guess that's what we're trying to encourage people to do, is just stand up, wake up, and see what foods you're eating. Yeah. In the, in the last meal of this, you know, 60-day uh, experiment, you had a, a children's meal or something that a, a usual kid would eat at school. And what was shocking about that or you know, the sugar intake on that? Well, I mean, it was just how easy it was to get to 40 teaspoons of sugar in a small child's lunchbox, you know? A couple of those kind of jelly squeezy things and some fruit roll flat things that are sort of marketed as kind of all natural fruit snacks, but are just full of sugar. Yeah. You know, and that's probably one of the scenes that most parents are completely stunned mm. um, with is that they're easy, it's accessible foods. You just whack it in the lunchbox and it's very simple. Yeah. But it's, I guess it's getting parents to really take responsibility there and how they're affecting the behavior of the child, but also what kind of, how they're setting up the palate for future but also how they're affecting their own metabolic pathways in that child that might be actually setting up for future damage down the track. So, you know, it's just about awareness, that's all. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the first step. We've got to wake up to this because people have no idea how pervasive sugar is and that's at least the first step. Right. And so let's talk about your own feelings at the end of that 60 days. I mean, how were you feeling? What was the medical diagnosis on how your body had reacted to yeah. eating 40 tablespoons of sugar? So overall, like my end results were that I developed full-blown fatty liver disease, so cirrhosis almost, where it had hardened. I had pre-type 2 diabetes, I had heart disease risks, I put on four inches of visceral fat which is just around your belly and it gathers in the organs and I put on 19 pounds. And I guess the big shock was that my calorie intake didn't change from my pre-experiment diet. So it wasn't like I went out and suddenly ate all these extra calories. I had quite a high healthy fat diet before, I ate very little sugar and refined carbohydrates like breads and things, but I ate sort of nuts and avocados and cheese and fruits and vegetables. Um, and those fats are obviously quite high in calories and we've been told not to eat them for so many years because they're low fat, you know, they're mm. bad for you. Yeah. And they're the things that make us feel full and satiate us and, and last us throughout the day. So that was probably the biggest shock, that the calories from sugar 
absolutely behave differently to other calories. And we know that now, that yeah. now. This fructose turns to fat in our liver. That's why I got the fatty liver disease. Broccoli doesn't do that, yeah. you know? And yeah. so we need to understand that you can't just eat whatever you like and just go to the gym and hope you're gonna be okay. Mm. It's not as simple as that. The body is a very complicated system and they might be the same calories on a plate, but once they go in and they activate different hormone, hormones and your metabolism changes and you're doing certain exercise or your gut bacteria, there's so many factors at play that we need to stop simplifying that message and actually get back to just eating real foods and our body's gonna do its thing. Yeah, and you know, there are a lot of filmmakers out there and who listen to this and you know, what are your, what's your advice um, for young documentary filmmakers um, and being a subject in your own film and mm. were there any production tips that you learned on, during the process? Oh look, it was an amazing process for me. I'd never made a film before, so it was a kind of learning on the job and I guess the biggest thing I learned was that what had stopped me making a film for so many years, I'm in my 30s now, was that I, was, I thought I, knew, I had to know it all. I thought I had to knew every lens, the sound guy, the special effects. I thought I had to cover every base. Mm. And it's just not true. You, if you get the right people around you and assemble a really creative, collaborative team, then it's fantastic because you all get to make something together and combine your, your individual skills and move, move forward as a unit. And yes, you get to steer the ship, but if the intention's very clear, and for ours it was, let's try and get this to a younger audience, let's make this film accessible, everyone just jumped on board and you kind of all moved together as one. So I'd really encourage people to just to, to give it a go and, and you know, if you fail, fail spectacularly. Like go out <laughs> in a blaze of glory. Right. Know? Was there any sort of day that seemed insurmountable or any day that was really <laughs> tough production-wise, whether oh, you were yeah. traveling or... Well, or people will see there's a film clip at the end and it's... Uh, just kind of this massive film clip where I'm in toast and jam and we've got, we had six girls in giant chocolate mousse glasses and <laughs> I kind of all try to make this kind of Willy Wonka sugary thing and I had a moment there of like, this is just ridiculous. But also I remember the day before we finished the edit, I had a massive freak out, really almost a panic attack because I just mm. thought, what am I doing? What am I putting this message out about sugar? I am in for a world of social media pain. Right. I'm going to cop so much grief from the food industry. Yeah. But um, I don't know, sometimes when you, you do a documentary and you learn the truth and you hear the truth from so many people, that kind of overrides all those doubts and fears and you just kind of put it out there and just like, you know, see what happens. Yeah, I mean, and so, I mean, what has been the response that you've gotten so far showing this mm. film out there, whether it's from people or you're talking about legislation, but mm -hmm. also, you know, the food industry, have there been any mm. sort of push or pull there? I oh, mean, look, it's been yeah. a remarkable journey for us. Like I said before, we've, we've become the highest grossing documentary of all time in Australia, that's in the cinema, but then it's on iTunes and DVD now. And we've sort of been top of those charts for the last three weeks. We've had schools showing the film, um, hospitals change, wanting to change their meal plan, prisons. We've had a full parliamentary screening. We've got another parliamentary screening in the UK in two weeks. Uh, Australian um, government, so oh, in the UK. In the UK as well. So mm. like, you know, uh, the Royal College of Medicine are doing a huge screening. Uh, lots of science, medical journals, the British Medical Association put out a, a review of the film yesterday, really endorsing what it says and the science in it. So. It's just been a crazy sort of journey for, for me, especially, and just to see what impact it's having on people's lives and the feedback we're getting online is just um, remarkable. And, mm. you know, it's not a diet. There's no special shake you have to do or kind of some kind of weird detox cleanse. It's just simplifying and going back to eating real foods as much as you can, you yeah. know, and trying to drink water and trying to eat fresh fruits in their whole form. 
you know, and not everyone's going to be able to do that. It's all relative to where you're at. And if you still have to take your family to Taco Bell, then at least choose water over the soft drinks. You right. know, like we can all start no matter where you're at. And I think that's the message of the film. Yeah. And so how long did it take you to feel healthy again when you were eating right again? You know, what, were you feeling immediate effects and getting back into the groove of uh, the Well, that sugar? was the best yeah. thing that happened in the film that was the biggest surprise as well is that I sat down to edit the film and to write the book as well that I had to hand in and I really was very sedentary for 60 days and just by returning to my normal diet my entire symptoms turned around. So the fatty liver disease, the pre-type 2 diabetes, 90% of the weight all disappeared just from eating real food again you know and mm. we ended up putting that in the film because that's the great message to take away is that you know sure some people will be further down the track than others but when you give your body the right foods mm. it responds in the right way and you've got your chance of, of having the, the best health you can and I think that's the message we need to get to kids before they ingrain these eating habits if they start off eating the right way then they're going to avoid all these medications and rely on the pharmaceutical industry as they get older yeah what's your what's your favorite meal right now what are you digging food wise you know uh, I pretty I mean like breakfast is a big one for me I always sort of I pretty much have eggs most days try and have some avocado with it um, very rarely have bread or toast with it I just kind of have the healthy fats and whatnot snack on nuts throughout the day um, found a pretty good smoothie place here and they do kind of mainly yeah. veggie ones not too much fruit um, and it's just interesting you can see that people are changing you know mm. these kind of shops are opening up now people are becoming more health conscious they're becoming more aware of how much meat they're eating like it's a very shifting world at the moment and I, I think we're at the start of a really big food revolution and um, you know we had these chats about tobacco 40 years right. 40 years ago and I, look how far we've come I think we're at the start of the same chats about food that's great and so uh, as, a, as a filmmaker now that you've got your first one in, in the in the mm -hmm. tank what, what's next? Is there anything else out there that you're uh, interested in tackling? Uh, yeah, I certainly have a couple of ideas, but I, I promised my wife that I would just um, <laughs> do nothing for a couple of months. And um, I've sort of, I, I've realized how I work now. I didn't know that before, but I do have some like perfectionist issues and I kind of just put the head down and kind of can easily work 12 or 13 hours a day. And we've got a little baby now. So I, I just, I don't want to be that dad. I'm going to make sure <laughs> that I um, get the balance right. Right. Um, but I'll probably see this one through for the end of the year. There's lots of, you know, school things and we have to do for the rest of this year. And then I'll think about starting the next one in January of next year. Mm. And now that your uh, documentary is being added to the can of, uh, you know, uh, food documentaries out mm -hmm. there, very, you know, there's a lot of informative uh, stuff out there that mm -hmm. people can watch. Was there another one that you really, you know, felt in touch with or um, that you could uh, recommend to people? Well, as I mean, were... it's a thing. I haven't had a chance to see anything in the last <laughs> three years, but I did watch one called Cowspiracy recently, which mm -hmm. was quite interesting. It was about sort of the link between how much meat we're eating as a society and what impact that actually has on the environment. And I thought that was really fascinating yeah, it's film. One. So it's, um, I'd highly recommend that one for people. Yeah. Mm. Um, I guess uh, we can throw to some questions if you guys have any. I know there's a lot of stuff to ask. Well, I'm, you know, this is, I stumbled on this by accident today. And uh, I was just wondering what kind of marketing, where did you get the fund for this movie, and what kind of barriers did you get where like <laughs> naysayers or said, no, absolutely, uh, that's, that's really my question, uh, yeah. particularly to the US. Well, look, it's uh, obviously documentaries are a tough one to, to get out there and get the exposure. I mean, you can't compete with the budgets of the big American films and, you know, their, their budgets are absolutely astronomical and they have sort of links in all different places. So it is hard to kind of get reach with these kind of films. 
In Australia, we had a very unique strategy where we did a Q&A release. So we did 26 special event screenings around the country with a guest of scientists and sports doctors and things like that that really help people. Yeah, similar to this. And we'd show the film and then have a big discussion. But obviously, we couldn't do that here. So look, we've had fantastic support. Our distributor here is a company called Samuel Goldwyn. And they did Super Size Me 10 years ago, which are the, obviously the similarities are there. And look, yesterday I did a lot of morning TV shows, um, NBC's Today Show, and um, tomorrow I'm doing more, Fox is doing some things. So to be picked up by a commercial network for a documentary, especially a foreign documentary, is really unheard of. So it's terrific that, I guess it's because the message is very relevant at the moment. So we're getting really interesting support from a whole range of people. From I did some, uh, an interview on a doctor's radio station today. Um, obviously things like this are great. Just trying to hit different areas and raise the awareness. And look, what happened in Australia is it's the type of film that people see it and then they say, oh look, I really want my sister to see this in her kids. Or I really want my grandma to see this who looks after our kids so they stop feeding it candy. So it kind of word of mouth works very well for a film like this. So we're kind of hoping that's what happens. Exactly, nice. Hey, how you doing, Damon? Um, what I wanted to figure out is, how did you maintain a sugar-free lifestyle before the making of this documentary? Yep, it's a great question. Um, I've certainly noticed that it's harder to do here than in Australia. Uh, I think because of the space we have in Australia and the fresh produce, we have a lot more sort of farmer's market type situations. So it is easier just to go to the corner store and grab some real fresh fruits and vegetables. Certainly that's tougher here. Um, so again, I, I mean, it's hard when I'm traveling even now, I have to really think in advance and sort of take some almonds with me or take some kind of fruit or a bit of cheese because sometimes it's very hard, as you know out there, it's all sugar, it's all bread, it's just this everywhere you turn. So it does take a while to switch those habits and sort of, but once you do, it becomes quite easy. You get into a new routine and it's just about changing that routine. And look, our website, we've got lots of free uh, recipes on there. We've got a free ebook, which gives people tips and advice on how to start and sort of even just think about eating a low sugar diet. And we've also, I've done a book as well that has a lot more recipes and goes into a lot more details for families to show their kids and explain how to do it so that you can all move together as a family and do it instead of mum just trying to do it on her own and getting grief from the kids. It needs to be done together and then you start to notice the differences. How do you account for Larry who had eight cans of soda, which is equivalent to what, 80 teaspoons of sugar? Yeah. And yet he maintained a good physique. Yeah. Other yeah. than his teeth were a mess, but he looked trim. <laughs> well, two things there. I've, I've, I've actually spoken to scientists about this at length. And they say that quite often teenagers can, they have a different sort of metabolic rate. And so the problem is that once he gets to maybe 20 or something, things might really start to fall apart. And the other factor is that there's a term now called toffee, which means thin on the outside and fat on the inside. Oh. And 40% uh, of teenagers now have this syndrome, which is they might be skinny on the outside, but all the fat, particularly from sugar, gathers on the organs on the inside, and that's what does the metabolic damage that can lead to type 2 diabetes and whatnot. So sometimes you might not even see someone on the right. outside. And look, we all know that person that's kind of really fit in their late 30s that suddenly drops dead of a heart attack when they're out jogging and no one would have picked it. It's because all the problems are happening on the inside and that is particularly related to sugar and that's what more of the science is starting to support. The other question, uh, you have to take into account the glycemic index on some fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. Like carrots have a high glycemic index and that can be pretty, pretty damaging in itself. Yeah, look, carrots, beets. Yeah, look, the big, the, big, the big problem with the glycemic index is that they, anything that's got fructose in it gets a very low score. And what we realise now is that the reason the fructose isn't in the bloodstream is because it is uniquely metabolised in the liver. So it's not actually in the bloodstream spiking it, it's turning to fat in your liver. And that's why a lot of the glycemic index, some of it's great, but 
you know, all those, I mean, green peas have a higher rating than ice cream because ice cream's got sugar in it, it's got the fructose. So really, you know, it's got its flaws. Up here in the front. Hello. Hello. Hi. So you were saying about the market putting all natural and it's healthy for you. So you see stevia and it's all natural stevia, but mm -hmm. is that something that you use in your diets mm -hmm. or is it completely taken out? So yeah, the question is about stevia. So stevia, I think, is like um, methadone for sugar addicts. Yikes. Like, I think it's a really good transition. If you've been on a really high sugar diet, then stevia can really help because it sort of eases you off that sugar. But we really try and teach people to move away from things needing to be sweet to be good. Because if you keep that alive, then you'll end up going back to the full strength version down the track because you don't get the same satisfaction. It still triggers rewards in your brain, but your body doesn't get the caloric satisfaction that it gets from real sugar. So you might end up having a chocolate or a donut later on in the day. So I think stevia has its place, absolutely. And at the moment, it's probably seen as the safest. It doesn't seem to um, uh, trigger your blood sugar levels and, and your metabolism like other, like aspartame and other, other artificial sweeteners do. I mean, the studies around Diet Coke and whatnot are not pleasant. But um, look, a little bit of stevia obviously isn't going to hurt. But I'd rather have, you know, the real thing every now and again than have an artificial one. So one more question. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know if you bake at home or anything, mm -hmm. but they're like, oh, you can use coconut milk instead of anything yep. else. But do you clearly steer away from that, from any type no, of... No, I love coconut milk. I mean, I think um, what are the a lot of the science is supporting now is that these kind of healthy fats, like coconut milk especially, and even butter, these saturated fats that are kind of coming back in vogue again, if you're eating those without these high amounts of sugar, then they're fine to eat. It's only when you're eating these other foods with them that you start getting the complications, especially around heart disease. So we kind of encourage people, especially as like a transition even for some kids who might be having a lot of sugar, things like smoothies with a bit of coconut milk and a banana and some avocado. So good, you still get the sweetness, but it's very healthy and it's gonna last longer in terms of an energy release than a very quick spike from a soft drink. Yeah. Thank you. Cool. Hello, um, I'd like to know what kind of sauce do you put on your chicken and <laughs> on your meats and, yeah, yeah. And, and, and how do you go about using salad dressings on your salads? Well look you can, I mean it just takes a bit of effort and you might have to spend 10 minutes in the aisle standing there like I did like a weirdo but you can find there are healthier versions and I think the important message here is to not get too extreme about it. I mean we get people writing on our page saying I just saw a salad dressing that's got 0.3 of a gram of sugar, can I have that? <laughs> And it's like, you know, it's, it's okay to have that stuff. Remember, we are allowed, well, we're eight, six teaspoons a day is allowed. So we kind of say that if something's got five grams of sugar per hundred in it, it's going to be okay. Any more than that, you should start to think about it. But a lot of those salad dressings can only have 0.3 or 0.5, so that's fine. What about things like uh, coconut palm sugar or mm -hmm. deriving sugar from actual natural fruit? If you yep. eat an abundance of fruit and that adds up to well over the six teaspoons a day that's recommended. Yeah. How is that absorbed so the, by the body? The guidelines from World Health Organization don't include fruit, vegetables and milk with sugar. It's only added sugars. And the theory there is that once the sugar's encased in the fruit, the fiber is very protective, so it slows down the metabolism in your body. But if you remove the sugar and add it as a free sugar, which is what they call it, that's when the body can't sort of break it down in the same way. So. Look, we encourage fruit, you know, absolutely. Fruit is nature's dessert. It's a fantastic thing, especially in its whole form. But you need to understand that the minute you, if I have a glass of juice, you can get four apples into that glass. Now, if I tried to eat four apples, 
I couldn't get through them because the fibre would tell me that I'm full, probably after two. But I can take all the sugar of those apples and put it straight into a glass with no fibre and bang, it just floods the liver very quickly. And that's where we're getting into problems, you know, because we're just not slowing down that absorption like we should be. So in terms of coconut sugar, yes, there's more kind of nutrients in it than just refined sugar. Um, the same with kind of, um, you know, even honey has more um, nutrients in it. But again, the molecular structure is pretty much all the same. Whether it's table sugar or high fructose corn syrup, they're pretty much virtually identical in, the, in terms of their level of fructose. It's about 50%. And then you get things like agave and 90% fructose. And honey is about 40% fructose. And fructose is the one that we're kind of trying to be a bit more concerned about. Hi. Um, so I know that the best way to to know what you're consuming is to have a home-cooked meal at home. Yeah. Um, and there are reports that salads at restaurants or fast food places that are also marketed as healthy have as much sugar as your, or fats or anything as your burgers and your other yeah. um, unhealthy foods. So um, do you avoid eating out? Or if you do find yourself at a family event or with friends going out, yeah. what is your approach? It's a great question. I, um, I think because we're quite strict at home and we're very careful with what we do at home, I think we probably loosen the chain a little bit more when we're out. You know, we're certainly not those people that ask the waiter how many teaspoons of sugar's in the sauce and things <laughs> like that. Um, but again, we're, we're still careful. We make sure we, you know, if we try and avoid sauces or we have it on the side because that's often where the sugar is, you know. So it, there's just ways to, to avoid that, to choose the protein meals and the healthy fats as opposed to the kind of pastry or the deep fried foods. Um, and you kind of start to navigate your way. But look, if you're, if you're doing really well at home, I think that's the best step, you know. And then when you're out, if you have one or two teaspoons in a, in a sauce, totally fine. But just look after your own space at home. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Awesome. Well, that was great, guys. Great discussion. Um, look out for the film. It's uh, Silly, uh, Village East Cinema here. And then also on I iTunes. iTunes is um, Friday. So yeah. that's iTunes. That's the, that's the big house here. So yeah, yeah, check them out. Tell your friends. Uh, and then on social media at, at the That Sugar Yeah, we've got a Facebook page, um, That Sugar Film, and there's a website, That Sugar Film, that's got all the recipes and whatnot. And there is, shameless plug, this book. Boom, out there we now, go. Um, which has just been released right today. Cover, and again, yeah, it's great. for kids, and there's lots of animations, and it's really fun, and there's recipes, and it's so parents can actually show their children, this is why you're craving sugar and whatnot. So Awesome. Guys, thanks so much for coming, and uh, let's give another hand to Damon. Thank you. Thanks for coming. <laughs>